Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their tap room in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Hey folks, Tim here, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. You'll notice the intro is a little different this week. We had some technical difficulties that gave us some audio problems in the intro, so we just wanted to cut that out and give something a little cleaner to introduce the interview. We're talking with Peter Zine this week. Peter is the owner and CEO of L. Smith Brewing. We're going to talk to him about L. Smith beers. We're going to talk about the Great American Beer Festival, baseball collaborations, in his newest venture, Cheese Smith. We do apologize for the issues you may hear it a little bit later in the show, but most of the interview is 100% fine. We hope you'll enjoy it. So let's join in now with Peter Zine of L. Smith Brewing. Of course. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you doing this this evening, afternoon, evening? Yeah, no, great. Uh, really uh, an honor to, to speak with you guys, and I really appreciate what you do for the beer world. Thank you so much. We appreciate it very much, man. Now, you mentioned to us that you're sipping an Oktoberfest. Uh, how, is, are you Oktoberfesty weather over there in San Diego? Yeah, well, you know, it's 72 and balmy, but, um, sure. you know, it, it's that time of year, and I love it because it's a nice reminder that uh, malt uh, still exists in the world, in this world of IPAs and hops. Fall comes around, and I get these wonderfully malty, delicious Oktoberfest. It's like a delicious unicorn. It's still out there, but sometimes it's hard to find. It does exist. Yeah. It does exist. <laughs> does San Diego have a lot of Oktoberfest celebrations? We do. We have uh, the the city conducts you know three big ones. We have one at the at the brewery. We, we get about seven hundred people in there. An Oompa band. Um, people are drinking from the steins, uh, making pretzel necklaces, uh, stein holding contests, and all that stuff. A lot of fun. Sounds good. That's we did our Oktoberfest show. A few weeks ago now, I guess, about a month, three weeks, month, right at the Something kickoff like that. of at the beginning, Fest. yeah. But we do a blind beer tasting of about nine or ten Oktoberfest beers, and we kind of rank those. And oh, nice. We brought some bratwurst and soft pretzels into the studio and just had us a, a good little party. Excellent. It's great. Absolutely. Well, Brian, I don't think we did any Oktoberfesty stuff this week, did we? No, I don't think we did, no. But we're going to be doing some. We've got some events coming up, so we'll get into that. I did have one Oktoberfest beer okay. at one of the places we stopped, though. All I right. did have the Oktoberfest beer at Hopsticks. At Hopsticks. We, we did yeah. have that. That's right. Yep. But speaking of that, we went to Hopsticks, uh, a nice little brew pub uh, here in Chambly, Georgia. Chambly. I've been corrected on that many times. I'll never get it right. I would say Chambly. I think yeah. that's right. I, I have no idea. I live very close to it. I still have no idea. But ramen and... Yep. House brewed beer and sushi and robata, so not a bad little joint. We good had a stuff, good time there. Yeah. And we went down to Lee and White. For those that aren't familiar with it, Lee and White is a new development here in the Atlanta area where they basically took an old uh, industrial complex and converted it. Uh, Monday Night Brewing was the first one to move in there. They moved into what they call Monday Night Garage, which is their uh, barrel aging sour beer facility. But since then, we've had uh, Two more breweries open there. We have Wild Heaven and Best End Brewing that just recently opened up. We have a craft beer focused restaurant, Boxcar. Yep. And we have a bottle shop and another bar there with Hop City. And uh, there's a kombucha place there. So That's right. just this whole development is really, you know, jamming up down there as far as eating and drinking go. We've been there actually two weekends in a row. 
now that I think about it, we uh, we did half of it one weekend and half of the other weekend. It's a good. That's a good time. You can it really is. have a good time down Lots there. Of, yeah, you could spend yeah. the whole day there just Easily. mosey around, and they've got it's along what they call the Atlanta Belt Line uh, sure. that, that loops through Atlanta, walks around. So just a really cool spot to go grab some beers or some whiskey. Or ASW's whiskey, down the there. distillery yeah. there too. That's right. Everything right. you need is Whis- right there. Whiskey, food, and beer. I mean, I, you don't need anything else. They right. need to put some of those pod hotels there where you oh, can that's go a and just idea. You know, get a little pod and sleep it off. Or just <laughs> sleep in your car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever you need to do. Whatever you need. Brian, did you get any, into anything else this week? I drank a few uh, a few beers a friend gave to me. A couple from Two Tides over in Savannah. I don't get my hands on those very often. Uh, one of them was Tan Lines, a dry hop pilsner. I like the style. And I had their Uber Light, which is a very, very light American ale. It was actually really nice. Okay. I mean, crisp and refreshing. Oh, yeah, Orpheus. All you get is all you get. I got some of that. That's a that's a nice beer, too. So, Those breweries all do yeah. good. And, you know, Orpheus, we're going to talk a little bit more about GABF later in the show. Uh, but Orpheus got a good bit of love over there from the Denver Post and from Porch Drinking, saying they were one of the standouts of the recent Great American Beer Fest. Really? Well, I know that Monday night also got a little love there but uh again we'll talk about that in we'll a bit. get it we'll dig into that i think we should talk about the beers of the week crack open a cold one it's the truck and tap beer of the week Woo-hoo! craft beer and food trucks in downtown woodstock truck well brian we have a fantastic selection of beers to get into here we're drinking elsman as you might yes. have guessed here and right now we're drinking their juice stand which is a hazy india pell l and am I correct, Peter, this is a fairly new addition for you? Yeah, that's a 2019 new beer. Um, you know, we're in our 24th year at Alesmith, and uh, what we've started seeing in the marketplace, you know, 2017, 18, 19, uh, you know, creativity and innovation are, are again at the, at the forefront. And this is our offering to this uh, beautiful new category that I'm a fan of. And, you know, that I will promise you we're only going to make beers that I like. And, uh, I warmed up to the hazies, and I really like the subdued bitterness, with big hop punch, the tropical flavors, and the real ease of drinking. And uh, yeah, pretty new. It's been out uh, about six months. You know, I've got to agree with you. I'm not big on just the classic West Coast style. I'm not a bitter guy. Brian loves them. Yes. I personally am not. But like you said, with a subdued bitterness and that, uh, you know, juicy, hazy profile, they play well together. Makes for a really nice beer. Right. I've never really been a fan of huge bitterness. I don't want to see the death of bitterness. I do get nervous about that. I'm noticing like all the IPAs are almost absent bitterness, and and it ha- it has a place. But uh, for this style, it it's really in the background and uh, just IBUs to balance, and then everything else is flavor and aroma. I think what would really kick this up a notch is some lactose and glitter. That's right. And then you <laughs> then you'd be <laughs> you could. Possibly put it in one of those uh, margarita machines and serve it with iced over. So yeah, you'd be, be fantastic. Then it would be perfect. I mean, yeah. I hope you're taking notes because we're here to improve everything. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that's not on the table. <laughs> yeah. but, but Brian, we've also yeah. got the uh, Pale Ale 394, which got a cool story that we'll talk about. And I've got a vintage 2016 Speedway Stout. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that show. one. Yeah. So, Brian, what is happening this week in the news? What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. All right, so we have some news from the 33rd annual Great American Beer Festival. There's a lot of statistics out there. I hope I got all of them, but uh, maybe I've got too many. So 9,497 beers were entered. 
plus an additional 113 Pro-Am and 70 collaboration entries. They were all received at the uh, the festival. 2,295 breweries were in the competition from all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the Virginia Islands. Shout out to the uh, Virginia Islands. Virginia Islands? For, uh, the Virgin Islands. I'm sorry, Virginia Islands. I'm terrible. About 60,000 people have attended the festival. 318 medals went out to 283 breweries. 37 of those medals went to first-time GABF winners, so never won before, and that was their first time. The most entered category, of course, was Juicy or Hazy IPA. Chicago's Old Irving Brewing's Beezer won that gold in that category, but the average number of entries per category was just 88. So uh, You know, an interesting stat that I saw this year, Brian, was on the German Pilsner uh, category, and I look back over the last five years, and it's been 100 or higher over the last five years, but it keeps trickling up. And this year, it was one of the top five categories entered. You know, and it's been a top five category for people who actually brew beer for a long time, for I think. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. People were quick to point out that big names in New England IPAs were not represented in medals again this year. But, I mean, they never are. I think we've discussed that in the past, and I think they just it's not advantageous for them to enter. So the the festival did not completely sell out, but there were three... Three of the four sessions each day did, so it was really well attended. And they're looking about opening it up to other beverages other than beer, Tim, in the future, mm-hmm. possibly, because they want more that. attendees. They mm-hmm. didn't sell out, so there might be a seltzer tent there or some That's other what I interesting thinking. category. We know the we know the <laughs> right. I, I'm with Peter on that one. Oh, God. <laughs> I've just the Great American the Beer Festival. Brian. That's right. You're going to have to change the name. Great American Seltzer. Yeah. You know, I can't take any more of this right now. We're okay. going to go to a break, Brian, but we're going to be back very soon. We're going to talk more with L. Smith Brew. Is your brewery or restaurant pouring all jacked up? Your foundation needs to be protected from heat, chemicals, and other contaminants. At the same time, you want to make sure it's slip resistant and you can clean up your messes with soap and water. You know who to call? ResTech. We've been manufacturing poured-in-place flooring since 2002, and we've got solutions to fit any facility's needs. Go on and visit our website at ResTech.net. That's R-E-S-T-E-K.net. Drop us a line and we will come to you for a free evaluation. Oh, yeah. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you miss an episode, don't worry. All episodes are available as a podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss a show. Now back to our conversation with Peter Zine from Alesmith. Now, Peter, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit. Brian was giving us some stats there on the Great American Beer Festival. and. Uh, you were at that this year, just got back recently. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm honored to be one of the judges. Uh, there's 330 judges to get through those 9,300 beers, um, and it's quite a rush of uh, wow. drinking. I think I did 160 samples in two and a half days. That's You know what? I have judged. <laughs> I've done uh, some homebrew competitions in that, mm-hmm. and anybody who hasn't judged a beer competition, I don't think they'd realize that 
it, it's tough. It's not easy, especially, you know, when you're tasting the same style and you have a lot of presumably good beers, you know, if they think they're worth entering a competition, that's not always the case. Uh, but a lot of times when you're drinking beers that are that close to each other and good beers, it's tough work. No, you're right. And and it's a really um, esteemed group of people that judge. They have uh, lab people from different industries. Uh, believe it or not, some of the macro big beers that maybe you and me and Tim don't drink uh, actually have incredible lab people with sensory panels. So I always say if you're having fun while you're judging, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my problem. I think I'd have too much fun because the, the actual tasting when I've done that, even of other things on a very amateur level, has it gets overloading after a certain point in time. I think I'm good for judging about 12 beers. And then that's it. And then that's at that it. point. At that no point, hundreds, yeah. right? They really are good about taking care, you know, making sure we don't experience palate fatigue. Um, a basic panel, you usually have about, uh, you know, maybe 9 to 11 beers in front of you. I have two judging partners. They have the exact same 9 or 11 beers in front of them. We work alone, and what we're going to do is push 3 of our 11 forward, and then the three that we agree on, we will reconcile because we're, we're, you know, it's very rare when you agree right, right off the bat. Um, those three will go and they'll find another set of judges to take that next round. That'll be the second round, third round. And it goes on and on until we have winners that we can award medals to. So as a brewer, I do appreciate that they, that they really take care in, in how this goes down. And it's really quite a marvel of organization. Like the, the, the whole metrics on this thing is just insane. I mean, of course, I think for most people, it's the largest beer festival I've ever been to. And I think until you go, you don't really get the scope of that. And I had a friend comment the other day about the awards ceremony and the medals given. He said, they give so many away, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But then when you look at the numbers, I mean, with what was it, Brian, 3,900 entries or something like that? and That's, Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was or 9,300? 9,300, yeah. yeah. So you're was, talking less than 3% of those that enter win a medal. There's just a lot of categories out 9, there. 9,300, and we down to about 300 medals. 318, I think it was the number I had, at, to like 280 breweries. So it's a very small fraction. I'm honored to, you know, that was our, I believe that was our 22nd award from the GABF. I'm totally honored, but... um we're only allowed to enter four beers now. Every brewery can only enter four. So if you can bat 250 in a contest like this, it's amazing. You know? Yeah, that's not bad at all. That's and that's impressive. You to, to mention your award, you got gold in the old L or strong L category for your private stock L. Congratulations right. there. Yeah, thank you. You know, what's fun about that one is that that started as a homebrew. So that, that came out of my homebrew journals back from the early 1990s. And it's evolved. And... Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the difference between old ales and barley wines. And it is, it is a very minute difference there. But if you can stay within that old ale category and make a beer that can age 20, 25 years, you know, so I, I take a little extra pride in that. And, you know, we're, we're a humble brewery. I'm, I modestly say thank you to the judges that chose this, but I'm just so stoked for my, my crew. Like I love what it does to the team and they get real excited. We rotate people who go to the festival to pick the award up every year. So the three that went up on stage this year, it was their first time to take that, what I call the walk, where you're uh, high-fiving your way down amongst all your peers, <laughs> and you're up there fist-pumping with Charlie Papazian. That's what I was going to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everybody fist-pumped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's something you just don't forget, and I've had more than my share, and I love watching our new team members get up there and just experience that thrill. So you mentioned something I'm intrigued by. You're a master beer judge. I want to know your take on the difference between a barley wine and an old ale. 
Right on. Well, I figured you'd ask that. I kind of set myself up for that. So yeah. um, <laughs> what I think is going on and makes the difference. And so like Thomas Hardy's and some of these English classics that I call old ales and not barley wines, it, it's a combination of, of invert and non-invert sugars from different sugar sources, which, uh, you know, uh, I can't really tell you where I go looking. That's really it. it it's, it's kettle sugars in addition to the maltose uh, sugars that are, uh, you know, and the fructose that are contributed by the malt bill. It, it's additions directly to the kettle that kind of make that difference. And they give you those two, three, five extra layers of complexity over time. And they are perceived like prune, plum, raisin, overripened fruits every year getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and so it, I find it an intriguing, uh, you know, style to brew. And it, it's best to be sipped. It's better in cold weather. It's not a beer you chug. Uh, you know, I've made them in the you know nine percent range, and then as high as thirteen percent. I think my sweet spot is that around ten point five eleven. And then you get that carbonation right. You got to get when, when they're young. The hops are a little bit too strong. They do poke out a little bit. But I kind of design these beers to be at optimal drinking uh, years five to ten, and then they'll keep going. It's just that. You know, they're, they're going to get more pruny and raisiny and they're going to get richer and richer and richer as you go on. So um, it depends what you like. If you drink it fresh, it's great. You'll actually notice some Styrian Golding and some East Kent Golding hops at the back of it, years one and two. And then they kind of fade away into this, you know, complexity malt bomb. I you do know? enjoy that old bookshelf, the the, uh, the sherry or port notes you get in it, little gentle right. oxidation. That is a really nice thing. I didn't realize that you were planning on five to 10 years worth of uh, sitting on a beer. I had actually had planned to ask you that about the Speedway Stout. How I, I know it says on the bottle, like drink it now or hang on to it for a few years. Where do you like to, uh, how long do you like to age your beers? Do you like them fresh or do you like to let them sit for a little while? You know, it depends. So um, at Alesmith, half of our 10 beer lineup was over 10% alcohol. We we were specializing in orig- in high gravity beers because we had old dairy tanks. We had horizontal fermenters that were not made for the brewing industry, but we managed to make really nice high alcohol beers with extremely low fusel alcohol levels. So you really couldn't smell or even detect it in taste, the alcohol. And it, and it's an osmotic pressure formula on the yeast cells. If you imagine yeast cells at the bottom of a, of a very large conical tank, that's a lot of weight on those, on those cells. And they're not able to reabsorb fusel alcohols or hold them within their cell walls. Um, in a horizontal setting, in a cool ship setting, which is very traditionally English, there's much less pressure and you, you get a much smoother alcohol you know, profile on your beers. So Alesmith specialized, you know, 50% of our lineup was high gravity beers. And we designed them so if you open them the day they're available, um, they're going to drink great. Uh, they'll be fresh. In the case of our old numbskull barley wine, you're going to get this huge hop punch. And then they're going to change, you know, and just like you, you mentioned, Tim, that was, uh, you know, about the sherry notes. And I mean, that's the beauty of these beers. They'll age and they'll change. They're living products. There's yeast in the bottles. And, you know, when you open it, it's going to be different and it can be different within, you know, a week or two. So to answer your question, every beer is a little different. Um, for Speedway in particular, the coffee notes are going to get less and less each year. And you're going to, it's going to move into the chocolate and dark chocolate and, you know, the darker malt profile, the coffee will be just a, a memory after five years. It's going to add complexity, but you're not going to smell it or taste it and say, oh, there's coffee in this. 
Younger versions of Speedway, definitely coffee forward. I'm on our sensory panel where we run every beer that we make through that panel every Thursday afternoon at one o'clock. And new Speedways are just, you know, so much coffee in them. But I will be interested to hear your take on the 2016 when you pop it. I'm predicting that the coffee's fairly subdued in that and you're getting more chocolate notes. We're looking forward to finding out here real soon. So, And that's something, if you have never drank a vintage, an old, a cellared, old ale or stout, go out and find you a good old ale. Get you a few bottles of it. Drink one now. Put a couple back. Open one in a year. Then open one in three to five years. And check it out. See, it's really a treat. Something fun to do. Great advice. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're going to take another break, but we'll be back soon to talk more with L. Smith, Peter Zai. It's Brian and Tim, the Beer Guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it truck and tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing, establishing a new standard in craft beer. Have you ever thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built? We're Storytime Construction, and we build breweries. We're Georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries. We offer full build-outs, remodeling, and additions, as well as consulting and construction management. Give us a call at 770-733-4343. Storytime Construction. We build breweries. the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram the numbers all go to 11 does that mean it's louder well it's one louder isn't it now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show i want to give a quick shout out to one of our great radio affiliates real talk 93.3 fm in tallahassee florida catch beer guys radio on real talk 93.3 every saturday at 5 p.m local time now back to our conversation with peter zine of Alesmith. You said that wrong. Did I say it wrong? Zine. Yeah, it's we've, Zine. Been, we've been going here ah. the whole time. So. It's all good. I imagine you get Zine a good bit, correct? I do, yeah. And yeah. A lot of, the people who know me well call me PZ, my two PZ. initials. PZ? There you go. Easy. <laughs> He's breezy. PZ. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> that goes back to high school. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, Peter, we brushed on this briefly, but uh, talk a little more, more about your various beers. We just drank the Pell L394, and uh, this one's got a cool story, a little collaboration here, correct? Yeah, it you know literally came out of right field, and uh, it's turned out to be just a huge thing for us, and it's uh, quite an honor to uh, you know have met Tony Gwynn and to have actually designed a beer with him that is a very big success in our Southern California market. 
But um, if you want to hear the story, I got a condensed version. Um, sure, we would absolutely love yes, to. Yeah, yes. right on. So back in the day when I was, you know, me and three guys were, were running Alesmith, um, just a very small group. When anyone asked me to do anything, uh, I, I'd present our beers. So a law firm called in 2007 and asked if I would present at a happy hour. So I brought four of our beers and I did my song and dance on Alesmith's, uh, you know, relentless pursuit of making perfect beer. And, you know, we're a humble brewery and we practice integrity and it's all about the customer and a lawyer in the room remembered me. He took my card. And now we're going to fast forward to 2014 and my phone rings. And um, I didn't remember the gentleman, but he said he had a high profile sports figure that wanted to make a beer. And he asked me to guess, you know, San Diego. And I'm thinking, well, over here in San Diego, we're, we aren't quite as uh, rich and athletic talent as you are down there, down in Atlanta. But we, uh, you know, my, my list was rather short. I said, oh, well, we got Philip Rivers and Dave Winfield and Tony Gwynn, you know, and they, oh, Tony Gwynn it is. So he texted me the address two days later. My wife and I showed up to the Gwynn's house, rang the doorbell and, you know, Alicia Gwynn, his wife answered the door. We had beers. The lawyer was there. An accountant was there. Uh, for the first 30 minutes, there was no Tony. And now I look back, that was sort of a job interview. I think Alicia and, and her daughter, Anisha yeah. and Tony Jr. <laughs> wanted to feel us out, see what kind of people we are. And it felt familiar. It felt like we would become friends and family even. And, and that, that's what we are now. We, we consider each other family. And we really hit it off. 30 minutes into the meeting, she told her daughter to go get tea. And around the corner comes Tony Gwynn. And my, my wife is this huge baseball fan, although her affiliation is Dodgers. Don't hate. And um, <laughs> she was very nervous to meet Tony. Um, and, you know, so we pondered. We went through beers. Tony admittedly was not a craft beer drinker at the time. We introduced him some mellow styles. We had an extra pale ale, an IPA. I brought a stronger beer, our Horny Devil Belgian Strong, just to see if that tickled his fancy. And then our Nut Brown Ale, which was a darker, rich beer, but lower alcohol. And it wasn't until I combined in a single glass a combination of the extra pale ale and the IPA that we started making some headway. He said, now I like this, but I don't like that sensation on the back of my tongue when I swallow. It tastes bitter. And so, um, you know, I said, hey, thank you for the feedback and we'll work on this. So over the next two months in early 2014, we made prototypes. We were trying to brew a pale ale that had a big hop presence, but not a lot of bitterness. And uh, it was on the third try that, that, we, that we pleased Tony. And we, we made a pretty forward thinking beer. It, it, it's not unlike the bills uh, that you see in the new hazy and juicy IPA category. It's just clear beer because it's filtered. And so we designed the art all in-house and, and that beer came out on uh, June 6th, 2014. And uh, Tony died 10 short days later, the morning after Father's Day. He had had the beer. He was telling his daughter how proud he was that they did it. Uh, you know, the, the cancer had just, uh, you, know, you know, it was, it was Tony's time. It's a tragic loss for the city, uh, for the family. I called Alicia to give my condolences, and I said, tell me what you want to have happen to this beer. You know, do you want it to go away? She said, no, no, no. Tony Tony wanted this beer everywhere and anywhere. He was very proud. And um, what makes me proud is some of his last words to Alicia were, keep going with Peter and Vicky. They're good people. And, um, you know, I, I, I will not lie to you. I've, I've cried more than a few times when I tell this story, when I'm alone in the Tony Gwynn Museum, and I think of this man and how he entrusted something so important to him to put his name and his batting stance on our label. The beer has, has done remarkable for us. It's, it's more than half of what we do uh, locally in San Diego. 
the other distributors and brewers call it the stickiest handle in town. When a bar brings this beer in, it stays. And that's that's something to say in this era of rotation nation where, where bars are, are putting new beers on, you know, all the time. That's kind of the condensed version. We see Alicia frequently. They have private seating, you know, whenever they want to come to the brewery. And we've managed to raise money uh, and we donate to the Tony and Alicia Gwynn Foundation, which helps underprivileged people that have obstacles, uh, whether it be in housing or, or job opportunity or, or so forth. Been a really cool thing. Um, I give credit to my wife, Vicki. I I was struggling with this, you know, seeing how, how are we going to do this? And I'm not sure I see the connection. We're not, we don't have enough of our own beer even. Now we're going to do a beer that involves a royalty and some, you know, a person on it. And I wasn't seeing it. And then, you know, the more we got to know the Gwyns, the, the more I saw that my company and the way Tony lived his life were super aligned. Key words, you know, are humility and loyalty, integrity, seeking perfection in your, whatever your art is, whether batting or brewing beer. He was a 20-year player that stayed in the same town. We were a 20-year brewery that chose to continue brewing in San Diego. So it started lining up, and I, I thought, you know what? This just feels kind of heaven sent and uh i'm grateful for it and it, it, yeah it's, it, it's just been a wonderful thing that's a pretty awesome story collaborations you know i don't think i know of any collaborations that have quite that deep of a story to them a lot of cool stories brian yes but, but none but quite that. that uh at that level i don't think yeah have a beer that meaningful that's pretty awesome yeah now peter you've got some other new beers that you've been working on and when i saw some info on something you're working on i think is new for 2019 the Hoprite series Right. Yeah. We're, you know, being re responsive to the needs of a, of a new market. And um, for years, you know, we existed with a single IPA and I was kind of proud of that. It, it was the top ranked IPA on ratebeer.com. I didn't feel the need to turn a bunch of taps over to this one style, but you know, that can, that style just continues to flourish. I'm a big IPA drinker. So we decided to have some fun. I let my guys start designing different IPAs that will release um, I think for next year, we have three new ones coming. We did three this year, uh, a brewed IPA called Brutiful Day. And we have one right now called um, Tropical Marmalade. It's got marmalade flavors going on. And so it's oh. kind of just been fun and uh, allows us to be more innovative. You know, for I guess my biggest gripe in the beginning being a microbrewer was I had a set lineup. And coming from home brew background, that felt very like I was handcuffed. You know, the market asked for my 10 same beers. I had to defend my handles and my spaces on the on the shelf. And now things are completely different. We're being able to act like a brew pub, really. I, I can brew many different beers. And, and we have a 10-barrel system that we put in front of our 85 to give us that added flexibility where these uh, Hoprite series are going to come off and, and, and 70 other new beers. Uh, many of them are only available at our tasting room. But the Hoprite series does go into wholesale channels. So what are we looking at in terms of those, those Hoprite beers? Any teasers as to what they might be? You covered the brute ground. Is that going to happen again? or? Well, no, I think we're just going to keep moving. My guys have a, lots of ideas. We even have a Japanese-inspired one with, with some interesting spicing to it. You know, I, I, I don't put any limits on them. There's all sorts of really cool new hops. Um, we had one we called Muy Sabroso. And it has this hop called Sabro. And if you haven't tasted a beer made with at least 75% Sabro, I, I would seek one out. It, it's an amazing, uh, like, coconut flavor. And there's no like coconut. Like a cookie. Like a yeah. coconut cookie yes, kind of exactly. flavor. Yes, exactly. It's the flake, yeah. coconut. And there's no coconut in these beers, but it's unmistakable. And it's all the hop. So 
these hop breeders continue to impress and come up with new hops for us to make really unique beers. So we send uh, a team up to the Pacific Northwest every year to check out the new crops and try, you know, bring back these hops that don't have names yet. They're numbered, experimental, 118432 or whatever it is. It's an exciting time to be a brewer. I'll tell you that. Lots of stuff going on out there. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're going to take another break. Then we're going to come back and talk Chief Smith with the L. Smith Brew. As a brewery owner or taproom manager, are you looking for ways to enhance your customer experience while maximizing your revenues? Craft Cellar is a mobile solution that helps your brewery drive sales and attract new customers through online pre-sales for beer releases, events, and memberships. Get details now at craftseller.com. Mention Beer Guys Radio after sign-up and extend your free trial to a full 30 days. Remember, craftseller.com, C-R-A-F-T-C-E-L-L-R.com. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Patrons can get some cool perks like Beer Guys swag, commercial-free episodes, and even bonus episodes that aren't available anywhere else. Amazing. Yes, and uh, we have an episode about, uh, it's a From the Cellar episode, isn't it? It is a From the Cellar yeah. episode, yes. A stone brewing stochiasticity project, I believe. Quadro Triticale, I think. Quadro. Quadro. Yes, that's out the, this week. That's new yes. this week. So, Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Get on that. Now back to our conversation with Peter Zine from Alesmith. Well, Peter, we want to talk some about Cheese Smith, but uh, I read kind of the adventure. It sounds like you're you're a dabbler with that. Does that sound correct? <laughs> Uh, yeah, dab is one word you could definitely use. Okay. I saw you. It looked like you cured your own olives. Uh, is that right? Cured your That's own true. olives, making cheese, making beer. So a cereal hobbyist? Yeah, I roast coffee. I make chocolate. Okay. The only thing that's missing here that I've heard is is wine making and, and soap making. Or maybe candle you making, You can't too. eat soap or yeah, drink but Yeah, but people frequently like to make these things. I do candles. I, I take the wax from the bees. I'm a beekeeper as well. I, and so wow. I, okay. <laughs> I harvest honey and I and I melt the wax and make candles. Uh, I've done soap. It's it's uh, some hobbies stick. Some I do every few years, you know. But uh, it's kind of addicting. Well, that's I've heard of a lot of people with a lot of hobbies. I've never heard of anyone curing their own, own olives. No, I have olive trees here. Um, I, okay. I, I yeah, I can them. I um, I have a vegetable garden. I, I pickle every year. Olives are fun. Um, it's amazing they figured out how to make those things edible. If you ever ate a raw olive, it's terribly bitter. Yeah. I never have. I they're didn't terrible. realize they're, oh, they're horrible. Okay. Because uh, they're so wonderful. I love olives. I absolutely love olives. Yeah, I wish yeah. I had an olive tree that spit out canned olives. Like I could <laughs> harvest a can of, or a jar of olives off that tree. That'd be well, fantastic. if you think about all the stuff we're talking about right now, that it kind of applies to all of it. Coffee, cheese, True. beer, olives. Yeah. None of this you just pluck off a tree in its in its state and I'm, it's good. I mean, know? think about cheese. It comes out as it starts off as milk. Gross. Right. I mean, cheese so much better, right? Hey, this milk is all curdled and it's yeah. separate. And what should we do with it? Let's press it into a block. That's let's, right. Let's see how that works out, right? Uh, they call cheese uh, milk's leap to immortality. 
It's, it works for me. Yeah. We're big fans. We did a cheese and beer sh- pairing show uh, earlier this year with the cheesemonger from uh, Brickstore Pub in Decatur, Georgia. Great. And we had some fantastic Yeah, some really good pairings there. there. You, like you said, some of your hobbies stick, and I take it cheese stuck pretty good because you have launched Cheese Smith. Is that right? Yes. Um, well, so back in the day uh, when I was working at Ale Smith and I, I had given up, uh, kind of hung my home brew paddle up, I was brewing five days a week professionally, and the last thing I wanted to do on a weekend was brew. Uh, at home. So I had, I had this big void because I, I love that hobby. And yeah, homebrewers out there know what I'm talking about. It, it's just such an unbelievably all-encompassing hobby. And I was enjoying brewing professionally, but I felt a void. And the farmers that were taking our spent grain would often bring me raw milk. So uh, I started experimenting with the raw milk. I, you know, I'm not a huge milk drinker, so I started thinking I got a lot of milk here. And I, I learned how to make uh, cheese uh, just from the internet. And then I completed my education by going up to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. They have a dairy institute there. And I, I've spent a, a few years uh, over, over time accumulating um, degrees from their little uh, short programs. And, um, yeah, definitely caught the itch. Uh, I mean, scratch is the same itch as brewing for me. It's just super procedural. There's, there's only one raw ingredient, milk. Brewing, I got lots of hop choices and malt choices and the fermentation aspect, but Cheese, I mean, every cheese is exactly the same to this one moment. And then they go off in their 2,500 different directions. And it's paying attention to pH and when you add the enzyme that creates the gel and, and, and everything after that takes you to a different style. So, yeah, love doing it. I opened up Cheesemith, um, San Diego's only Department of Agriculture licensed creamery. I may be corrected, but I keep saying this. I think I'm the only brewer in the United States that has a cheesemaking creamery within the same building as his brewery that for seems me, likely and probably yeah. the only brewer that has degrees in cheese making from yeah. a, a university so so it's uh yeah it's just been fun i opened it last november i started selling to the public uh, about three months ago and i'm a, I'm a one-man show in, in this room that no one knows about in the far back of the brewery yeah I'm, I'm just enjoying it uh for the most part a lot of curds coming out but i also have about 400 pounds of different cheeses aging including cloth wrap cheddars uh Havarti, Howdas, um, you, you name it, I've, I've made it. Monterey Jack, Fetas, all, you know, so I'm processing 50 to 100 gallons of milk weekly, which equates to roughly 50 to 100 pounds of cheese weekly. So what are some of your favorite uh, beer and cheese pairings? I know we're, we're, so we're drinking the Speed Waste out right now. And uh, what would you recommend to, to go with that, for example? Yeah, you know, I think that you nailed it when you, when you were saying the cloth wrap cheddars. I, I love a really strong cheddar with that super sharp character that you can only get after a bunch of years to compete with these huge notes, you know, in the Speedway. And, and the cheese kind of, you get the fat in your mouth, whereas the coffee and the dark roasted malt character can kind of cut that. So I've always been a big fan of that one. Over the years, I've done lots of cheese and beer pairings. Um, you know, not not Alesmith. I mean, not Cheesemith cheeses, but but cheeses paired with Alesmith beer. And I do have a bunch of favorites uh, that I just go back to uh, time and time again. Really good blue cheeses, like like the ones being made up in Point Reyes, California, can be really nice with IPAs. Believe it or not, they they uh, complement each other more than contrast, and 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 it's very interesting. Um, there's an Italian cheese called Latem, and it's a combination of four different animal milks in one cheese. It's goat, sheep, cow, buffalo, and it's a little round that kind of bleeds out. It's really gooey, 
and I love that with Belgian ales and that phenol ester profile of the clove and banana and the different Belgian things going on. So it's hard to miss really. Like, like I've never had just like, oh, okay, that, that was just a horrible combination. But when you do hit it right, it's almost like one plus one equals three. That was something we noticed when we had uh, Bernard is a gentleman's name, Bernard McCoy, yeah. that came in to do the cheese pairing with us. is there were none of them that we didn't enjoy, but mm-hmm. there were some that it's like, wow, this really makes these flavors pop. Both the beer and the cheese just really shine when you pair you know, certain ones together. None of them were bad, right. uh, but some of them just shined a lot better than others. Yeah. And I think, you know, the wine world, with all due respect, they grabbed onto the wine and beer dinners and, and I mean, the wine and food, you know, the, the, the pairing dinners and the wine and cheese. But I love brewing because I can actually bridge flavors. I, I can give you roasted and I can give you caramel. And, I, you know, so I, I love the bridge. Whereas, you know, again, with all due respect, the wines are tied to nuances of vintage and, and fruit character. Whereas we're kind of like boldly, you know, kind of driving right to that connection. And so that's why, you know, that's kind of my, uh, how I feel about why, why beer really is the food pairing beverage of, of choice, you know, the, in, in my opinion. Now, before we uh, run out of time here, we, we have to ask you about uh, what you have planned for the coming year. It's going to be your 25th anniversary there at Alesmith, right? Yeah, no, we have some really exciting stuff. We have a whole year of stuff planned. I'm going to be calling in some favors to brew with me on the 10 barrel system. If you're listening and you're one of the world's best brewers out there, yeah. you can expect to receive a letter from me there you where go. we are going to fly you out to San Diego and take care of you and put you up in a hotel on the bay. And you're going to come brew a very special beer that we will release throughout the year. Um, we have a, a nice list of what I consider the world's best brewers. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to call in those favors because I'm, I'm the nice guy out there. I've done lots of favors for other breweries and it's time to time to call those favors in. Time to and, cash um, in. That's it. You got yeah, to. And, and that's just one thing going on. We're, we're, we really have a whole year of things planned at the brewery. And we, we join a really, you know, we're in rarefied air uh, breweries that have managed to, to exist for 25 years. And we haven't compromised our principles. We make decisions that uh, from the art and the craft of brewing, never with the wallet or, or the business aspect of it. And I can prove that because I was in the, you know, I was in the red for <laughs> more years than I want to admit. <laughs> right. I was that owner once upon a time that had the rubber band around all his paychecks for, for year after year. So, um, Alesmith, again, paying respect to the heritage of brewing, uh, have a lot in store for our customers in, in 2020. And we're looking forward to that. So if people want to keep up with what's happening with Alesmith, where should they go? Well, we have a website at, at alesmith.com. Uh, we also have our, you know, you, you can go search us up and Instagram and all the socials. Um, we really encourage you to come visit. You can find us on Alesmith Court. Uh, we have a street name change, easy to find, right in center of San Diego. Uh, we'd love to have you. We do have an outdoor food kitchen uh, being uh, that will be open in the spring with a pizza oven. Cheese is made on site at Cheese Smith. And uh, you can sample our core beers, our seasonals, and a lot of one-off stuff just available at the brewery, as well as go to our speakeasy Try up to nine different vintages of our barrel-aged beers. We encourage you to blend in that room as well and come up with some great invention of your own. Tony Gwynn Museum, free to the public. Come on in, check it out, and have the unique experience of leaving the museum and trying a beer that we actually made with the Hall of Famer. So uh, we, we hope to see you uh, as well as the two of you when, when you find your way to San Diego. Please uh, be my guest and come out Absolutely. to the brewery. We really appreciate your time today. It was uh, great talking with you while sipping some of your beers here. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Well, that about does it for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Coming up next week, we're going to be talking to the Chicago Bruseum, Brian. 
We're going to learn about brewing history in Chicago, uh, their exhibition, and what they're talking about there. It's going to be a good time. For more craft beer info, follow us online. We are Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers. Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang.